0: Welcome to the Homesteaders of America podcast, where we encourage simple living, hard work, natural healthcare, real food, and building an agrarian society. If you're pioneering your way through modern noise and conveniences, and you're an advocate for living a more sustainable and quiet life, this podcast is for you. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm your host, Amy Fuel, and I'm the founder of the Homesteaders of America organization and annual events. If you're not familiar with us, we are a resource for homesteading education and online support, and we even host a couple of in-person events each year with our biggest annual event happening right outside the nation's capital here in Virginia every October. Check us out online at homesteadersofamerica.com. Follow us on all of our social media platforms and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can be the first to know about all things HOA, that's short for Homesteaders of America. Don't forget that we have an online membership that gives you access to thousands, yes, literally thousands of hours worth of information and videos. It also gets you discount codes, an HOA decal sticker when you sign up, and access to event tickets before anyone else. All right, let's dive into this week's episode. So this week I am talking to Joshua Furman. For those of you who have never heard of Joshua Furman before, he is the milk guy. We call him the milk guy because we bought our dairy calf, our heifer calf, from him uh, earlier this year. Her name is Hazel. For those of you who follow me online, you'll see her picture all over the place. And he's actually located in Southern Virginia, which is pretty convenient for me. And so Josh and I have had quite a few conversations about dairy cows and natural health and how that works because, you know, me being an herbalist, I'm really interested in that and having my cow stay healthy and. The natural way, not using antibiotics or anything like that. And so we dove into that in this episode. We talked, oh my goodness, y'all, we talk about everything when it comes to the health of your family milk cow. Uh, we talked about mineral deficiency, mastitis, probiotics, giving your cow kefir and kombucha. Who knew that was even possible? We talk about boosting your cow's immune system, flies, toxicity, forage all kinds of things. And I am so excited to bring you this week's episode. Just a quick disclaimer, we had a little bit of rural internet problems with Joshua. And so there are a few parts where he cuts in and out, but I think for the most part, you'll be okay with the recording. We had a lot of fun recording it, a lot of information, and it still worked out perfectly. So get ready for this week's episode. Hey, Joshua, welcome to the Homesteaders of America podcast. It's nice to see you again. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Hey there, I'm Joshua Furman, and I work at a uh, small family-run dairy here in Southern Virginia, and uh, my dad actually owns it, and so I work for him, and we do mostly a 2A2, 100% grass-fed dairy cows, and we service a lot of customers in the area. We also have some chickens, turkeys, and dogs, and beef cows, but... Most of what we do is related to dairy cows or A2A2 dairy and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So I first found out about you, uh, I think it was through Justin Rhodes' channel. He got a milk cow from you guys And so um, we connected with you too and got our heifer calf from you, Hazel, and hoping to get another cow from you in the new year. Why don't you tell us a little bit about like A2A2 and grass fed genetics? Because a lot of people don't understand what that is, especially when looking for a milk cow.
1: Sure. Well, A2A2 is a beta casein in the milk. So it's a protein content in the actual milk that the cow produces. And it's in the genetics of the cow to be either A2A2 or a 1A1, or a 1A2. And so when you get a cow, you can test them. Uh, Usually, you know, you pull the tail hairs out of the cow, send them to University of California, Davis, or something like that, and get test results on what your cow is. So what a 2 a 2 milk is opposed to a 1A1 or something like that. The A2 beta casein is easier for the human body to assimilate. So it's uh, similar to goat milk or something like that. All goat milk is A2A2. And all cow milk actually used to be A2A2. But since they started to commercialize cattle back in the day, when they started to put cows behind the breweries and feed them the old leftover waste from different companies and stuff, and really just commercialize cattle and take them out of the field and put them into the factory. That's where the A1 beta casein kind of was born, and it has really taken over the industry. And it's really hard for people to digest the A1, and a lot of people, you'll hear them say, I'm lactose intolerant or something like that. And lactose intolerant is usually A1 intolerant because most of those people who are lactose intolerant can handle goat milk or they can handle A2A2 milk. So it just depends. So we started learning about it here on our farm maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, and we just switched over pretty much right away because of what we were learning about it. And there's some good books and articles out there on the subject that can explain it in a deeper deeper way for the those of you who are interested so that's kind of a simple understanding of a2a2 a2 versus a1a1 A1. and you can actually breed a2 into your herd by getting an a2a2 a2 bull and then as long as your cows have at least one a2 property within them then when you breed an a2a2 a2 bull to an a1a2 cow there's a 75 percent chance you'll have an a2a2 a2 calf so we kind of did some aggressive breeding and culling towards A2A2 A2 herd and got there. And now we don't ever have any A1 cows on the farm. So that's kind of what we've done. And uh, it's definitely something you want to look into before deciding to purchase a family milk cow and just see if that's an important thing for you and your family.
0: Yeah. uh in, in last week's podcast uh, episode, the one we recorded last week, we were talking about that a little bit. And you mentioned genetics and breeding A2 into your herd. So for this podcast episode, I know I sent you some questions in advance. And so I really want to kind of hone in on that uh, genetics and um, basically the health of cows, because in a previous podcast uh, with someone else, we went through like, how do you find the family milk cow? And now I really want to break it down with you because you and I have had a couple of conversations when I was trying to get Hazel uh, and just had some questions with you. And so I'm going to go down this list of questions and I think a lot of people are going to be interested in them. And so we're going to start with the first question, which is talking about genetics and how culling can play an important role in a healthy herd. So I know for me, when I get on a milk cow Facebook group or something, and obviously all milk cows look a little bit different, but you have you have the cows that are genetically prone towards grass and then you have the cows that have been grain raised and they always look more bonier and they, they can't you know stay full on grass as long. So I wonder if you could talk about the genetics real quick and for those who have herds, what the importance of culling for the type of cow that you want and how that kind of worked within you guys moving over to grass-fed uh, A2 herds.
1: Yeah, so I guess I'll kind of start with answering the question of why would you call a cow? And first of all, for me, the highest on the list is going to be genetic. Um, If they've got some obvious genetic issues, I'm going to call them. Or if they're producing good milk and they seem like they're doing all right, I will at least call their line. So the way you would do that is you would just have to keep a heifer calf or a bull calf out of that cow. And that's calling her line, essentially. Um, You're saying this bad genetic trait is going to stop with this cow. And um, another reason you might call would be for personality. And some of that is genetic as well. If you have cows that are just crazy, you know, you don't want to keep a calf out of that cow because chances are the calf will be crazy because calves learn from their mothers a lot of times. And then the third reason I would call would just be production. So if the cow is not doing what I want it to do, if the cow is not being a profitable cow and bringing in the income that it needs to be bringing in, then it is no longer an asset, it is a liability at that point. So those are kind of the three top reasons to call. And to get into the genetics a little bit, to try to answer your question on that, the first thing we're gonna look for is How well do they perform on grass, 100% grass? Because for us in our dairy, we only feed grass. We only feed grass-based products. So if we do feed anything in the milking parlor, it's going to be alfalfa or uh, timothy or fermented alfalfa or alfalfa haylage or anything like that. It's all going to be grass or grass-based, nothing green. And so most cows, especially conventionally raised Jersey cows and a lot of purebred Jersey cows have been corrupted and they've been corrupted at a base genetic level. Just like I was saying, a two, a two and a one, a one, a one, a one was bred into the cow industry, just like grain dependent cattle have been bred into the cow industry. And so a grain dependent cow is not going to be able to function or produce On grass, just because their biology has changed and their, not necessarily their biology, but their gut and what their body can handle and survive on. So a lot of it also is the way the calf was raised. So some calves who are raised on milk for six weeks and then they go to grain and then they have nothing but grain and maybe some silage and maybe some, maybe a little nibble of grass here and there. But if that's what they're raised on their whole life, their stomach is never going to be able to develop the right proteins and the right bacteria. Like they've got to have this thing in their stomach that is going to help them to digest. And so they grow that, they grow that as a calf. So they start out. And if you raise them on their mother, then the milk that they're getting and the fat Content in the milk from their mother, actual cow milk, is going to create this bacteria. The bacteria in the gut that is going to grow, and the minute you switch them to grain, the bacteria in the gut has to change. Mm -hmm. And so, a lot of times, the bacteria that you're growing in the gut of a cow starts out when they're little calves. And so, I would say a calf that has been raised on grain. And that for generations has been raised on grain is not going to be able to switch over to grass very easily just because of the bacteria in their gut and what they for generations have been bred to perform on. They've been bred to perform on grain. Another genetic issue you'll come up with sometimes is production issues or mastitis issues. So mastitis issues can be genetic or they can be management. Most of the time with a small family milk cow, it's going to be a management issue because you're learning and you're going through the school of hard knocks and you're just kind of figuring out how to milk a cow out all the way or how to take care of a cow and give them what they need as far as minerals go and forage and water and all of that stuff. So that's going to be kind of The other thing you'll look for is like, how well do they produce? And what are the chances that they're going to keep all four quarters all the way through their life? The other genetic issue sometimes you can run into is calving issues or things like that. Like if you have a cow that has calving issues, I would not keep a heifer or a bull out of that cow because she's showing a weakness there and you don't want to reproduce that line and you don't want to reproduce that weakness. Same with a cow that gets mastitis or gets mastitis regularly. If you're treating all of your cows in your herd the same and you're taking care of them really well and you're milking them out really well and they all have the same forage and the same mineral access, then one of them continuously is getting mastitis. Probably she's just got a high somatic cell count. And if a cow has a high somatic cell count, then they're more prone to mastitis and they will then get mastitis more easily. And they're going to send that high somatic cell count on to any of their heifers in the future. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple of genetic things you want to look for. Do you have any other uh, more specific questions on that?
0: Um, I mean, we could be here all day, but (laughs) no, I think, I think you covered that pretty good. It does kind of lead us into the the next question about like general health. Like you talk a little bit about mastitis, which is one of the things I want to talk about that seems to be like one of the biggest fears of the new family milk cow owner is what if my cow gets mastitis, you know, how do I treat that naturally? And so that kind of leads me into the next part of this is I remember you telling me that you guys don't treat with antibiotics and you went in to explain why that is. And I thought that was really interesting. So I wonder if you might take some time to just explain how antibiotics affect a cow's body and what are some alternatives to that?
1: Yeah, Sure. So um, what you're asking is, you're a nervous first-time cow owner, maybe. You're just starting out, and your biggest fear is mastitis. I would say mastitis is probably not and should not be your biggest fear. Mastitis is something that you may deal with, but everybody deals with mastitis. I mean, I would say go ask anybody uh, who has cows. And they're going to say, yeah, we deal with it. We figure it out and we work through it. So as far as the antibiotics go, we do not treat with any kind of antibiotics. And the main reason for that is we're a natural farm and -hmm. everything we do is natural and organic and healthy for the body. And what antibiotics do is they kill everything, all bacteria. They kill bad bacteria. They kill good bacteria. And they kill the immune system. And so when you give a cow antibiotics, it may treat and fix the problem very quickly. Uh, just like if you get a cold, I've been dealing with a little cold myself for like two weeks now. And if I had gone and gotten antibiotics the first day, it probably right. would have been gone in three days, but I would have shot my immune system so much that I would have been susceptible to all kinds of, all manner of other things. And the other thing is when you kill all the bacteria in the gut. That cow then has to start from scratch. So you're not making a stronger animal. You are making a weaker animal and you are making a dependent animal. And you're making a weaker bloodline and a more dependent bloodline. And so it's one of those things where, like I said, if you have a cow who's always popping up with mastitis, you probably want to call. But if you have cow who you know, maybe has mastitis once, you treat it, uh, you take care of her and she gets better, then a lot of times, you know, she won't get it again or just it, it's a lot A lot of times it's a learning process. Like I've had people who got a cow and they got it delivered to their house. And when it, when it was delivered, they did a CNPK test or something like that where you can see what the level of somatic cell was. And they said, oh, two of the quadrants have, you know, Mastitis. And I said, well, give it a couple days. We gave it a couple of days. The cow was fine. Mm-hmm. The stress of the ride is what caused the cow to have a somatic cell on those quarters. So sometimes it stresses. Sometimes it's moving to a different place. Sometimes it's just you not taking care of the cow the way you should be or her not getting what she needs. So going back to antibiotics, because I did want to say something on this. When you give your cow antibiotics, you're taking... All of the good bacteria that she has built since she was a baby calf in her stomach to help her to live and thrive and produce calves and milk on grass or whatever you have raised her for. You're taking all of that work you've done and you're flushing it down the toilet. And you're saying, we need to start over again. But if you push through a sickness and the cow gets better, she is building antibodies she is in a sense vaccinating herself against the issue again she's her body is creating strength on strength and it's almost like working out it's just like you know you work out you get stronger you get sick your body works through it your body gets stronger and that's the way that that bodies work and so if we go straight to the medical system which all they really want is money all the vets want is your money they're not necessarily going to cure your cow in a way that's going to help the cow continue to produce for generations and generations they might fix your cow quickly and they might fix your cow the way you want it fixed so i'm not saying you shouldn't use antibiotics if that's what you feel like you should do right but i'm just telling you warning you what the dangers of antibiotics are yeah and um treatment okay so treatment of mastitis naturally So the way that we do that is we milk the cow out all the way. So I'll tell people this all the time. Somebody's like, I'm terrified of mastitis. My cow's going to die. You know, my cow's going to get this terrible thing. Listen, you see one little chunk in the milk and you neglect to milk that quadrant out all the way, it will continue to get worse because mastitis is a bacteria that maybe some dirt got in there, maybe, you know. She's responding in a bad way to stress. And so it's an issue that got into her quarter. Usually it's one quarter, maybe it's two quarters. Sometimes it's the whole cow. But it's some issue that started in this quarter. And the best way to treat her is to get everything out. Mm
2: -hmm. Because
1: you can. You can drain a cow completely out. And I'll even do this. Um, I had a cow a couple days ago. She had an injury. So it wasn't necessarily mastitis. She had a bruised udder and there was some chunks in there and I knew it was going to be hard for the machine to get everything out. So I went ahead and did it by hand and then I waited 20 minutes and I did it again, Or waited 20 minutes. I did it again. And then the next day she was pretty much clear and I did the same thing. And then the third day she was fine. And so that's the main way to treat it. As long as they're getting everything they need orally. So they've got to be getting the right minerals. They've got to be getting the right forage. and They've got to be getting the right amount of water. So if you're not getting food, water, and minerals into the cow, then you could have a continuous problem for maybe a week or two weeks. The other thing I would say is you can boost her immune system. That's the best way to fight any infection in a cow is boost their immune system. So just like we said, antibiotics kills their immune system. So that the immune system cannot do its job. The antibiotics now step in and do the job of the immune system. Mm -hmm. But if you boost the immune system, then what you're going to do is your cow is going to come up with more and more strengths to be able to combat these different issues. So giving her probiotic rich stuff, I like to give my cows apple cider vinegar. They actually like the taste of apple cider vinegar. So you pour that on their forage or uh, whatever you're feeding them for milking. They love to lick that up sesame oil, um, organic, obviously sesame oil or flax oil. That's the, that's the best thing. Flax oil. We buy that by the gallon jugs, you know, we, we ship it in and we have it. And what that does is that gives the cow a certain amount of fats where she doesn't necessarily need to use her own energy to keep warm or stay alive or whatever, that's going to really just give her, you can also feed flax oil to boost condition in a cow who's maybe, uh, maybe lost in condition and she needs to boost her condition a little bit. So that's really just a level of fats that's going to give the cow what she needs to then use her immune system to fight the mastitis because if she's using all of her energy to stay alive and to, you know, stay fat, then she's not going to have as much energy to put towards curing the issue. So flax oil, apple cider vinegar, other things you can use. I have used like kefir before or like water kefir or kombucha or any, anything with high probiotic uh, richness. You can get it into them somehow. Like you can always put a hose down their throat just past the back of their tongue. And have a funnel on the end of that hose and you can pour anything you want in there and it'll go straight down into her first stomach. And then she will start the process of digesting that and all it's going to do is boost and feed the probiotics and things that are already in her stomach already trying to fight the issue. And uh, obviously, after you've done all that and you've done everything you can, if the cow persists in getting mastitis then you've probably got a cow that's got issues. Mm. You've probably got to consider breeding away from that line.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's a lot of good information. I don't think most people think about giving kombucha to a cow. Yeah. <laughs> those are um good tidbits that like, you know, most people don't, they don't share about that. When you go to learn about keeping a family milk cow, those are things that people, they just don't share about. And probably because most people don't do it and don't know about it. But You mentioned minerals, having the right minerals, and that's a big question that I have. Even though I grew up around farming, for a family milk cow, what kind of minerals do they need? Or is it specific to certain areas, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, so as far as minerals go, the main thing a cow needs is salt. And then after salt, there are a couple of things that I would require for a cow, and that's going to be salt, kelp, iodine, copper sulfate, selenium, and magnesium, and sulfur. The other thing you're going to maybe want, if your cows look like they need to be dewormed, is some diatomaceous earth. You can mix that in there too. But the mineral industry is kind of like a money-making industry. And mm-hmm. they want, they're kind of in in cahoots a little bit with the vets and the people who make money off of sick cows. Right. Right. So in a sense, they're a part of the big picture and part of the bigger issue, which is people wanting to make money off of your sick animals. And so most minerals you're going to buy over the counter, actually it's prohibited by law for them to put the right amount of iodine or the right amount of copper sulfate in the minerals. For the cows, because if the cow had everything it needed, it wouldn't get sick as often, right? Right. And so the laws and restrictions on cattle minerals actually restrict the amounts that you can put in it and then sell it over the counter. So I actually source all of those things myself and mix them myself. And so there's actually a great grass-fed natural farmer who I learned a lot from, Gerald Fry. Back in the day, he's since passed, but you can get his books and you can still get his audios and videos and really learn a lot about cows, genetics, cow issues, and cow treatment. But my mineral mix actually originates from him. So I mix it myself. You can also buy some really good minerals from uh, organic places. Uh, They've got good minerals Uh, if you want to just buy an over-the-counter mineral and maybe add a little iodine here or there. The best way to add iodine that's cheap is kelp. So I would say one of the main reasons for mastitis is iodine deficiency. Okay. And so if you actually get kelp, organic kelp, cows actually like kelp more than salt. So if you put kelp in one box and salt in the other box, the kelp's going to be gone really quick. So sometimes... Uh, i 'll actually mix the kelp in with the salt, so it takes them a little bit longer to to take it down. But if they really need it, then just throw it in there, throw it in there, and give them as much as they want until they get better you know it 's another way of treatment you 're giving them something natural mm-hmm. and it 's maybe something that they need really bad because ideally they would be getting all the minerals mm-hmm. from the grasses they 're eating off the ground, but if you don 't have the right symbiosis on your farm where you're growing the grasses that can actually pull the nutrients out of the ground and you don't have the right nutrients in the ground. Some farms have been abused and used as crop lands or have just been pesticides, pesticides, pesticides and poisons, right. poisons, poisons sprayed all over them. until they're just sterile and you have to put fertilizer on it to grow anything. So it, ideally cows would be getting what they need from, from the land
2: mm-hmm. and
1: from the forage that they're eating, but we have to supplement because most most of the land has been messed with so much. I mean, you can go to some of these really great um, grass-based farms that have been grass-based for generations. Polyface Farm, they've been for years now. Gerald Fry, the farm that he had mm-hmm. for years. Greg Judy, farm that he had. If you ever go to any of those farms and visit those farms, you're going to see things in the grass. You're going to see types of grass, types of legumes, types of forbs and weeds. Well, forbs is another word for weeds that are giving the minerals the cows need. Also, a lot of weeds that people don't like, they have minerals in them. If you see a cow eating a certain weed, you can look up what mineral is in that weed. And a lot of times that cow is deficient in that mineral. So an easy way to do it, I would say buy selenium-90 from New Country Organics. If you live in Virginia, Mm -hmm. get some selenium-90 from New Country Organics. That's the easiest way. And get yourself some organic kelp from New Country Organics and mix that in with your selenium-90 because that's going to up the iodine content.
0: Okay. Very good to know also. All right. So talked about mastitis, which is one of the the biggest questions we get at here at HOA, like when you're talking about milk cows. What are some other common cow problems that, you know, the home dairy might have? You know, mastitis is the one I always see, but in your experience, you even said uh, in this podcast, you wouldn't be as concerned with mastitis as other things. What are just some general, maybe like your top three health issues to look for with the family cow? And, kind of how would you not necessarily treat them if you don't have to, but obviously we've talked about a lot about prevention, but if you have to treat them, what are some options for those things?
1: Yeah. So I would say top three issues you want to be worried about is, I mean, number one, what is your cow's quality of life? Are they getting what they need? Are they not stressed? Are they, Eating the right things, drinking the right things. Do they have a heavy parasite load? Because a heavy parasite load can do a similar thing to what antibiotics will do. It can take out a lot of the, the proteins in the gut that they need. It can take out a lot of the good things, and really, cows just living off of the leftovers. So that's the first thing. Look at how is your cow's life. I mean, you can look at the cow. You can see what they're drinking. See what they're eating. And you can see what they need. I don't mean go tickle them behind the ears and go brush
2: them. Every day. Right. I mean,
1: sure, <laughs> those are great things. Those may help a cow in some way, shape, or form. But I mean, is the cow as an animal thriving? Right. That's the first issue. And you can see stresses in a cow based on like their condition or how they are walking or how they're looking or how they're producing. Really. It's like, If they're not producing very much milk, you've got an issue Mm -hmm. somewhere. If they're not producing healthy calves, you've got an issue somewhere. There's some sort of stress in their life that is causing these issues. So I'd say that's the number one. The number two is going to be pretty much genetics and what is this cow capable of and is she making you money? Because a lot of cows out there are just eating up people's money, mm-hmm. and people don't realize they're like, "Oh, this is great, we've got some yogurt, right. we've got some butter. Look at this, it's not free. it's costing you, and it's costing you a lot, right And so you've got to consider when you're considering genetics, is this cow a productive cow and productive in a cheap way, you know, and so that's going to be like, how much grass do you have on your property?" How much hay do you end up needing to buy? Like all of these different things add up. Right. So, And mastitis is in there because it is partially genetic and it's also partially management. But the third thing I would say to watch out for in your cows as far as health issues go is forage problems. So look out for poisons and toxins. Because cows are susceptible to poisons and toxins and even parasites killing off cows. Um, not as much as goats and sheep. Goats and sheep will just kind of flop over at the drop of a hat with right. parasites or with different things like that. So cows are a little hardier, uh, but it still takes a toll on them and it can mess them up. And it can just mess up their whole life and their production, their whole. And so it's not necessarily parasites. It could be a plant you have on your property, it could be a tree. Um, I know in our area, black cherry, well wild cherry, if those branches break and there's some wilted mm-hmm. leaves, if the leaves are completely dead or if the leaves are completely green, cows can eat them all day. But the wilted leaves right in between there, they'll kill a cow on drop of that or or a calf. Oh, wow. Black walnut, black walnut hulls, if they eat too many of those, then That can kill them. Uh, Mostly calves, though. Um, And then there's also some other toxins in plants that grow. And most of the time, cows are smart. Mm -hmm. They're going to avoid toxic plants as long as they have enough to eat. So, you know, toward the fall, you want to watch out for it. And so, fescue toxicity or fescue toxin, which are two different things, that can be an issue in our area just because fescue is the easiest grass to grow. In Virginia at least in the Mm -hmm. southern part of Virginia where I live right so a cow that's exposed to too much fescue toxin that is actually a toxin that the fescue produces when there is frost on it so if there's frost on a fescue plant it will produce a toxin and as soon as the sun shines on that plant the toxin is gone okay but if there's frost on the leaves on the actual grassy part of the plant and they eat that, they can be exposed to fescue toxin. And a lot of cows do that, and they're fine. But some cows Mm -hmm. do it, and they totally seize up, and their blood just almost coagulates because they cannot, their blood cannot continue to flow because they get restricted blood flow. Somehow that's how it works. Fescue toxicity is a similar thing, but it's a slower process. So it's more from, like, mature fescue plants. But it's not going to hit a cow that is strong and hardy. A cow that's strong and hardy can eat food all day long. But you have a weak cow who's maybe she's weak from not getting what she needs or getting too much taken out of her sometimes. You know, you have a calf on a cow or a couple of calves on a cow and she's not getting enough. They can suck the life right out of her and just take her down so far in um, condition and stuff like that. So a lot of times a heavy parasite load, That'll lead into fescue toxicity, but fescue toxicity, the issue would be where the blood flow is restricted again, and then essentially different parts of her body start to get gangrene or just not function anymore because the blood is not getting all the way to the extremities. Either of those things you would need to catch pretty early on and treat pretty early on. Mm -hmm. Any kind of toxic issue, you're going to have to catch pretty quick. And so that's why a lot of times it's good to look around and consider what you have on your farm uh, as far as things to eat go mm-hmm. and just you know do a little bit of homework before you get your cow. Just to know what are some things I need to watch out for what maybe I shouldn't graze this part of the pasture at this time of year. Maybe I should, you know, move around this way. Maybe I need to check the field before I move the herd in just to make sure no black like cherry trees have fallen down recently right. or whatever, you know, all three of these issues are management. You know, if you're proactive about taking care of your animals, right. in all three of these areas then you're going to get some good qualities from your animals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you remember or not, but we have a ton of black walnut trees around our house. And so I knew that was one thing I had to be careful love when we got that calf from you. But then we, I don't know if you know or not, we have this weird grass in the back of our property. I think it's called sorza grass or something like that. Have you ever heard of that here in Virginia?
1: Um, sorghum? Is it sorghum or sorza?
0: No, it might be, I don't know. I'll have to, I think it's sorza or so, it's some weird name, but it, basically it goes dormant in the winter. Like It's green all summer and spring and then it turns brown purposefully in the wintertime. And she will like absolutely not touch that. So I assume it's probably not good for her.
1: Yeah, I, I've not heard of that particular grass type, but I think that your calf, you know, she's an animal. Right. Animals have instincts. And so she's kind of going to pick and choose. The other thing is if the, if the grass does not have any nutrients in it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: most of the time, unless they're starving, they're not going to eat it because it's not worth their time to chew that up and then chew it six more times or however many times she regurgitates
2: it and
1: tries to get some nutrients out of it. Um, so a lot of times it's similar to like, hay. Mm -hmm. some hay bales, you get high quality hay where there's nutrients in every bit of that you feed a hay bale and the cow eats 90%, 95% of the bale. Some other hay you'll get, it's got a little broom sedge in it. It's got a lot of just stuff that should just be rotting and turning into dirt again, but it's in your hay bale. And so if you get that, then your cow is probably only going to be, eat 75% of the hay bale mm-hmm. because she's only going to eat what's nutrient-dense. She's not necessarily going to eat just to fill herself up.
0: Yeah. She's been a great calf. She's really healthy. She's she's beautiful. So we're happy with her. I looked it up on my phone. The grass is called zoysia grass. It's Z-O-Y-S-S-I-A. Z-O-Y-S-I-A, zoysia. I've, I've never heard of it mm. before until we – I guess it was like an ornamental kind of – grass that people grew it doesn't really grow actually and so i knew she probably wouldn't need it there's probably no you know nutrient benefit in it at all but it's thick thick grass it's like matted down we have our garden over top of a section of it this year and we had to put down a black tarp and everything to kill it it's just impossible to get rid of but i was just curious if you'd ever heard of it before
1: no i haven't but i know a lot of decorative plants and things cows don't really like because most of those are GMO and cows like, you know, especially our cows, they like to go for the natural stuff.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. One last question before I let you go, you mentioned parasites. And I know that's one thing that a lot of people have questions about. What are, what's the natural way that you guys manage your herd in regard to parasites?
1: Yeah, that's pretty simple for us. Uh, we really just use basic age. So it's a Shackley product. Shackley is a natural soap company. And so they sell, those, their main things are Basic G and Basic H. Basic G is not safe for any kind of mammal to consume. It's not safe for human consumption or cow consumption. It's just a good cleaning, good natural cleaning product. It's all natural. Basic H is fine for uh, animals to consume and even people. And so what we do is I'll take a certain amount of that. It doesn't really have to be a strict amount, but for a herd of 45 cows, I would put probably a quart of base gauge in a hundred gallon tank. And I'd probably do that three days in a row uh, just to give them a good, hard deworming. And then I would wait two weeks or 10 days, probably 10 days preferably. And then I would go ahead and do another quart in a hundred gallons and let them drink that. So basic H really just goes in and kills any kind of parasites. So it's kind of a simple way. Another way you can do it uh, naturally is diatomaceous earth. If you can get it in the cow, like I said, if you mix it in with your salts, or if you put, mix it in with your forage somehow, mm-hmm. uh, tomaceous earth is a natural way to deworm your animals. Because from what I understand, and my brother knows more about this because he actually uses it to deworm his dogs and for flea and tick mm-hmm. treatment, but it's ground up fossils. And so it's really just these tiny little razor blades. So when microscopic, right. so when a cow eats it, it's totally safe. But the minute a parasite ingests it, it just, it murders them. Mm -hmm. And so if you do diatomaceous earth, you do want to stagger it as well because you want to get the parasites and you want to get the eggs. So whatever hatches 10 days later, you want to get those baby parasites as well before they reproduce. Right. And, you know, parasites, ticks and different things, ticks are mostly going to be bad on a cow that has a bad immune system Mm -hmm. and that is not thriving. So you're going to see more ticks or even fleas or different issues on just sickly animals. So those are kind of the exterior parasites. Flies, those can be an issue in the summertime, especially in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And I've never worried too much about them as long as you're moving your cows regularly, because if your cows are staying in one spot and their is in the same spot all the time, and their shade is in the same spot Mm -hmm. all the time. During the summer, you're going to have just a huge amount of fly population coming from their feces, and if they're standing right there, they're going to have more and more flies and fly issues. The best fly treatment we have is birds, and uh, you're not going to have birds flying around your herd unless your herd is healthy and is organic, because animals do not like GMOs, they do not like pesticides, all those different chemicals people spray, fertilizers, chemical fertilizers. So, birds don't like that. You know, deer don't like that. You're going to attract wildlife to your property as you manage it in a holistic way without allowing any of those poisons to come in. And so, birds will run with your cattle herd, and uh, chickens, that's a really good way to control fly population because if you run your chickens two days three days behind your cows just like joel salatin does and most of these other big grass-fed farmers do they will spread the patties and they will eat the maggots so you won't have as much of a way for them to populate it's just like people who have terrible mosquito issues they've got standing water sitting around somewhere yeah you know? If I've yeah. got a friend who's complaining about mosquitoes, I'm like, hey, dump out that bucket, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> so it's just kind of those n- normal things that you got to wonder about and you got to think through. So those are two good ways to treat for parasites. I've also heard of black walnut in small amounts. Right. are so putting some black walnut hull, um, but you, like I said, it can be toxic in large amounts, so you have to add small amounts. But base gauge has always been simple and easy for us.
0: Yeah. I remember you saying that. And I think that's what Joel uses too. I think I remember him saying that, you know, and your mom probably knows this cause your mom's a naturopath, right? Mm-hmm. That black walnut hull is a good, good parasitic. And so I had wondered, I know a lot about, you know, treating humans, but I don't know a whole lot about treating cows. And so one of my ambitions with having cows is kind of seeing, you know, what, what helps if, if they ever need something like that. So that's good to know about the black walnut and, you know, manageable doses, not high dosage. All right, Josh. Well, thank you for joining me today. This is a lot of information. I know you right now can't see me, I don't think, but when we watch the replay, you'll see I have a whole bunch of notes on my sheet over here that I've been taken from you. And so hopefully everybody else has too when they're listening to this. But thanks for joining me on the podcast and I hope you have a great day.
1: Yes, ma'am. You too.
0: Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's Homesteaders of America episode. We really enjoyed having you here. We welcome questions and you can find the transcript and all the show notes below or on our Homesteaders of America blog post that we have up for this podcast episode. Don't forget to join us online with a membership or just to read blog posts and find out more information about our events at homesteadersofamerica.com. We also have a YouTube channel and follow us on all of our social media accounts to find out more about homesteading during this time in American history. All right, have a great day and happy homesteading.